everybody. Welcome. It is uh, so great to be with you today. Um, you know, one of the things that just strikes me this morning is that I just love about the God that we worship is that he is so incredibly personal. Um, we can bring anything uh, to him. Uh, I don't know about you, but there was a season in my life, many years, where I felt as though God was very distant. And the truth of this book couldn't be anything further from that truth. Uh, this morning, I want you to do something a little different um, as we begin. I want you to imagine this morning, thinking about how personal our God is, I want you to imagine actually that, that you're sitting across the table from Jesus Christ himself. And you have the opportunity to ask Jesus any question that you want. Anything that's maybe been on your mind, maybe for a short period of time, or just a question that's been lingering. Maybe for you, you're really searching out Christianity, and so you've got some, some questions about the character of God that you would love to have answered. Or maybe for you, you're maybe new to having been walking with Jesus Christ, and, and you're overwhelmed by God's goodness and his grace, and you simply just want to say to Jesus, Jesus, why did you show such extravagant love for us? Lord, why did you do that? You're overwhelmed by it in a good way. Or maybe for you, you're actually in a very hard season. And so the question that you have is, Lord, why? Why did we lose her? Lord, why? Lord, Lord how are we supposed to, to move forward? How are we supposed to carry on? Or maybe for you, if you were sitting across from Jesus, the question that you would ask him this morning is this, because you've been looking at some of the twists and turns in your own life, and you would just simply say this, Jesus, what should we do? Jesus, we need your wisdom, and so God, would you teach me? God, would you lead me? This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to ask a question that actually comes from, I think, what is oftentimes a very hard season in our lives. I'm going to take you to a harder place this morning. You hang with me, I promise we'll, we'll end in a good place. But I want you to think here on the front end now of a time in your life when you messed up. I want you to think of a time in your life when you really blew it. I want you to think of a time in your life when you felt like you strayed so far that you felt like maybe you couldn't come back. A time in your life when you just said, you know what, I've gone down this path and now this path is going to define me. This isn't just a moment. This isn't just a season. This is actually going to mark my life. We're going to talk about a question that sometimes flows from a time in our lives like that. Or here's another scenario. Play this one out a little bit in your mind because this might describe you better this morning. For some of you, maybe you're in a time in your life right now where you've really been actually pursuing the things of God and, and maybe in spite of that or maybe even as a result of that, you're facing some, some pushback. You're maybe facing some loneliness, maybe some rejection, and you're beginning to wonder, God, have you forgotten about me? God, where are you? And in either one of those situations, whether it's a situation where you messed up or it's just a situation where you just begin to wonder and ask those kinds of questions, the question that we can often ask is this one, and we're going to drive to this one this morning. Here it is. Are my best days behind me? Are my best days behind me? Have you ever asked that question? It's a question that you ask, and you can ask this question honestly if you're 65 and up or if you're 16. You can ask this question because sometimes we can look at a season or a, a moment or an instance and, and we can feel as though, okay, that is going to define me from now on out. And so then we ask the question of God, God, are my best days, are they actually in the rearview mirror, are they behind me? The most thriving times in my life, the times when the relationships were on track, the times when my motives were the purest, the times when I was chasing after the things that God honored you the most, are those days behind me. It's a question we're going to look at this morning because it's a question that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt it was what the character in Exodus chapter 2 where we're going to look at this morning 
This character, Moses, he was asking this question. It was definitely, definitely on his mind. And so this morning, that's where we're heading. And I, I do, I just want to welcome you. I know some of you are watching us online. You can't be here this morning. Welcome. I'm so excited for where we're going. To the guys in Mod 7, I've been praying for you. I've been thinking a lot about you this week. And we're pulling for you. Uh, Elkhorn and Millard campuses, welcome. So glad that you're here. Maybe you're new here today. Maybe this is one of your first times here at Brookside. So glad that you are here. Because what we're going to do today is we're going to see a truth I believe really come to life out of the scriptures that I think is in a lot of ways it's like a lifeline to us at a time at times when we need it the most. It's one of those truths that I'm praying that you'll leave here today and either your view of who our God is will be incredibly refreshed or it will be maybe even painted for the very first time. And so that's where we're heading this morning. We've been in this series. We started it last weekend and it's called Greater Than. And this series is taking us through the Old Testament book of Exodus. And one of the themes that we see that works itself through the book of Exodus is that God's people, the Israelites, are under incredible oppression. They're about two million strong when we join them in this text. And they're continually being oppressed. They're living under slavery. Their ruler, their boss, their king, Pharaoh, he is, he's ruling from his throne, but he's ruling out of fear. He fears that as these Israelites, as they continue to grow, that their power is actually going to overtake him one day. And so he kind of, he machos up and he continues to try to do things to control them. So he first, he oppresses them with slavery, but then he goes even a step further out of fear that he's going to lose his influence and his control. And he issues, he declares a genocide. He says all Hebrew boys that are born from this point on are to be thrown into the Nile. And so then we see the heroic effort of these Hebrew midwives that save so many of these little boys. And that takes us to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, 1 through 10. And when we got to that, we saw this last week, that the story really then went big picture to really honing in on one particular family. A family that had a new baby boy in their house, and they wanted to do anything that they could in order to save that baby boy's life. They were very aware of what Pharaoh had decreed. And so they try to keep this baby quiet. Imagine this. Imagine a mother trying to keep her newborn baby quiet for three months. Have you ever tried to keep a baby quiet for three minutes? It's nearly impossible. And she didn't have any Benadryl, folks. None, right? Sorry, confession, right? No Benadryl in the medicine cabinet for, for Moses' mom. But she's doing everything that she can because she knows, if I don't keep this baby quiet, this baby will be killed. He'll be found by an Egyptian soldier, and then he'll be taken away from us to be killed. And so she does everything that she can, but she becomes hopeless. I mean, imagine the moment. She gets to the point where she realizes, okay, we're three months old. I can't keep you quiet any longer. I have to have a better plan. So she thinks of plan B, and so she covers a basket with pitch and tar. And she makes it waterproof, and then she places the baby in the basket, and then she puts it off into the Nile River. Now imagine this. Now for some of you, you have an image in your mind right now. And that image comes from a, a, a Bible story that you read in a, a little children's Bible growing up. And so what you're picturing right now is little Moses in a basket, and he's smiling. He's happy. And not only is he happy, but his mom is happy, because why wouldn't she be, right? And there's like these little frogs that are leaping over the basket, entertaining Moses. And it's beautiful, and it's so kind, and it's so loving, and it's so fearless. 
But imagine this moment, everyone. You can't look at Exodus chapter 2 that way. This moment would have been horrifying for this woman. You've got a mom on the verge of panic, not knowing what else to do, going for whatever plan she can. You know she thought through several plans, but that was the best one. And so she puts her child in a basket, and she pushes him off into the Nile, and she had to be thinking this. One, either an Egyptian soldier might find him and kill him, or two, she knew the Nile. Imagine the animals that lived in the Nile that could easily take this child's life. And so in her fear and in her utter trust to God, she pushes this child out into the Nile River. Imagine the moment. Pharaoh's daughter, as we read in the story, is downstream. And she's there, though not alone. She's with her Hebrew servant girls. And she spots, one of them spots the baby floating in the reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter feels sorry for this child. And so she gets the child over to her. And one of her servant girls, who just happens to be Moses' older sister, Miriam, she says to Pharaoh's daughter, she says, should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the boy for you? She knows, okay, Pharaoh's daughter is here, and Pharaoh's daughter wasn't stupid. She knew if my dad finds this child, or if anyone in his army finds this child, he'll be dead. And so she has compassion. And so Miriam is thinking, I have a mom in mind, right? And so it says this in Exodus chapter 2, turn there with me, Exodus chapter 2, verse 8. Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Now, can you imagine the joy? I mean, imagine what it must have been like for Miriam to begin to run up the bank of the Nile all the way to her mom. And when she got there, imagine what she said. Mom, 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 you'll never believe it. Uh, You'll never believe it. The baby's going to live. And not only is he going to live, but they want you to come and to nurse Moses. They want you to come and they want you to raise your child. And mom, you're never going to believe this. They're going to pay you to raise your baby. And all the moms in here were like, amen, that's how it should be, folks, right? But everybody think about these events. Don't just think, oh, cute Bible story, because it wasn't. God knew. God was directing the redemptive history of humanity right here. He was leading to the saving of the Israelites, which would lead to the line of Jesus Christ. God knew exactly what he was doing. God knew, look at verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman, now Moses' mother, took the baby and, and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now I review this part of the story with you before we get to our new text, because you have to understand this going into chapter, the end of chapter 2. You have to understand the expectations on Moses' life are very high. I mean, think about this. I mean, this is nothing but miracles so far. The expectations are so high. You've got now a Hebrew boy that's being raised where? He's being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. He went from being a slave child to being a child that's being raised with all the privilege in the presence of Pharaoh, with everything that would come with that. Think of Moses' mom. She was a woman that she prayed probably night and day, God, would you give us the kind of home, Lord? I don't know how you'll do it. Give us a home that's different, that is actually protected. 
Give us a place where we can raise this child. Now she lives in the most protected home in all of Egypt. This child is destined for greatness. The stage has been set, undoubtedly. And little did Pharaoh know that this little boy would become God's instrument to bring all of Egypt to its knees. Look at verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, we'll talk more about that. It says, he went off to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. So this must have done something to him. He's watching his own people now being enslaved. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And looking this way and that way and seeing no one. So he looks around, I see no one. He killed the Egyptian and he hid them in the sand. Now time out here. What just happened? Think about this for a second. Moses is responding to injustice. Moses is looking at his people, the Hebrews, being enslaved by the Egyptians. And he can't take it any longer. So he has that moment, that impulse moment. And God's going to deliver the Israelites. But in this moment, Moses takes everything into his own hands. He says, I'll get the ball rolling on this. Lord, I'm not waiting for you. Lord, I'll take this into my own hands. And so what does he do? He kills this Egyptian. But what does that do for him? It takes him to the place where what happens? He loses his influence. He loses his influence. Look at verse 13. It says, the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Now let me ask you a question. Does that sound like something that someone would say if they're about to be a person underneath your leadership and really looking up to you as their leader? No, not at all. Moses has now lost the respect of his own people. So then it says this. He, he says to him, are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what, must, what I did must have become known. In other words, I think the word is spread. It must be true. People know that I murdered an Egyptian. Verse 15. It says, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. And so Moses is on the run. Now think about this. Moses is on the run. He's fearing for his life. But have you ever noticed this, that sometimes you can run, but you can never escape? That's what's happening to Moses. He's fleeing for his life, but there's going to be something that's going to continue to, to really dominate his mind. He's going to wonder, God, are my best days behind me? God, will I always be marked by what I just did? Look at verse 11. Notice that it says, after Moses grew up. Now, we see this in the scriptures. There are two new, in the New Testament, there are two books of the Bible that talk about Moses' upbringing. I want to take you to the first because they, they shed more light on who Moses was. The first one is Acts chapter 7. Look, look with me there. We're going to start in verse 20. Understanding this, the scene retold in a different way gives us more detail. Verse 20. It says, at that time Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. And when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. You can think of this. You can think of Moses having private lessons in the things of life that matter the most. Think of it this way, everybody, and ask yourself the question, could it be sometimes that when you experience some of the hardest things in your life, God is actually using them as training ground for what he's going to do in your life? 
You ever had that moment where you've just gone, Lord, why am I here? Lord, why am I in this place? Lord, we've been doing this for a couple years. Lord, why? And you, and you don't realize it in the moment, but have you ever had that moment where you looked back and you thought, oh, that, that was divine. That's what's happening here. That's right where Moses is. It says this in verse 23, when Moses was 40 years old, take note of that, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. You talk about a shift. He's going to go from the palace where he had control, he's going to go now to his own people, poverty and dependence. He's among his own people. Verse 24, he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. He's retelling the story here. And so he went to his defense and he avenged him by killing, by killing the Egyptian. Now quick time out because I have to ask this question. Moses, you're growing up. You've spent 40 years in the palace. Why are you rocking the boat? Moses, why does it have to bother you so much? Moses, people are oppressed all the time. Moses, why this sudden desire to get in the game? Why do you need to do this? Know this. Moses was the kind of person that he was willing to break rank with the, in, the, in the Egyptian army because he knew, he knew something greater. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. This is the other passage I want to take you to. Again, it unpeels the onion one more layer. It says, by faith, Moses. We learn about his motivation here. It says, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Though it was uncomfortable, Moses knew it is wrong. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, Moses, he chose the harder route, but why did he choose the harder route? He chose the harder route because he knew it was right. Moses knew, I can't turn a blind eye to oppression. I can't do it. Now know this, when Moses left the palace, how old was he? When Moses left the palace, everyone, he was 40 years old. He lived in Midian then how many years? He lived in Midian for 40 years. Think about this for a minute. Now you've got this guy who's been out tending sheep, and he's been doing it for 40 years. He's gone from fortune to the field. He's gone from having so much now to just being alone, to being a shepherd out in the field. And if there was ever a time, and maybe this is where you are, if there was ever a time when Moses could have rightly asked, God, are my best days behind me? This was the moment. There's ever a time when he could have said, you know what, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I messed up. I murdered and I did that and now I'm here. And I've been here a long time and four decades have gone by, Lord. God, is, is there anything left for me? God, do you see me? God, have you forgotten me? God, is there a plan in all of this? Back to Exodus chapter 2. Notice it says this, verse 15. Again, when Pharaoh heard this, what did he do? He tried to kill Moses. Moses now flees. He flees. He goes to Midian. It says then that he sat down by a well. This is where we pick up verse 16. It says now, uh, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and to fill the troughs. To water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. Like who does that? You know, like these girls are just trying to take care of their dad's like flocks and some thugs come along, right? But Moses says, what does he do? He sees this happening. Again, remember Moses has fled. He's in Midian now. But Moses, he's by the well. He got up and he came to their rescue and he watered their flock. Now we don't know. Has Moses been in the gym and he's like all swollen and he's, I don't know, but he stood up and for some reason these guys all just, they fled. They didn't want to be around. They were scared of him. Mighty Moses, right? 
But you know what we actually see in the life of Moses? This is the second time when we've seen this noble thing in him. He's a protector. He has this impulse to protect what is right. He did it with the, he did it with the Hebrew, right? Getting oppressed, and so Moses murders a man trying to defend in an impulse. Wrong, but he did it. He sees now these gals, and they shouldn't be treated like that. And what does he do? He, he comes to the rescue. Look at verse 18. It says, when the girls ret- returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Now, I just imagine that this is the scene, and I, I don't know if it is or not, but I imagine this guy, he's in front of his seven daughters, and he's like, girls, I cannot feed you forever. <laughs> you, you got a good man you stumbled on today. Why did you not invite him home for dinner? Like, we got to marry one of you off. Verse 21 says, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Speed dating right there in the Bible. Verse 22 Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Everyone know this when you read your Bible and you come across a name, know this. Names mean something. Moses has this child now, and he names him Gershom, which means this, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. In other words, Moses is telling everyone through the name of his child, this is how I feel. I feel like a foreigner. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like one day I had this, and now I have this. One day I committed this sin, and now I'm over here. And I'm wondering, are my best days behind me? I feel like a foreigner. Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, it says that all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Moses would have known I have become what would be unthinkable to my Egyptian friends. The people I grew up with, 40 years. And now four decades later, he's still doing the same thing. But have you ever noticed this in the scriptures? Have you ever noticed this in your own life? You see this, I see this in the lives of people all the time. God tends to use people with marred pasts for great things. God tends to take the person that actually has a limp and use them for something great. God tends to take the person that has a rough past and he redeems that. God has that power. And so when you ask the question, are my best days behind me, I sure hope this morning you leave here with a renewed sense, oh, they're definitely not behind you. You might be wondering, have I gone too far? You might be a teenager and you've just said, you know what, I I have this moment and I'm starting to go down this path and I've had now this semester and I'm becoming this kind of person and, and these are the voices that I listen to. Know this. You got a limp now. But you know what God can do with that limp? God can redeem that in the voices of God. The voice of God can become the prominent voice in your life. It's the person who says, you know what, I'm giving up on our marriage. And God says, no, 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 don't give up on your marriage. I bring you hope. I am a redeemer. I can use what is broken. I can mend it. I can heal it. The scriptures are so full of hope on these things. Everybody, just let me list a couple of these to you, because over and over throughout the Bible, you would think of certain people, their best days are surely behind them, but then God redeems them, and all of a sudden, God uses them in such significant ways. Everybody think of David for a second, King David. What was he called by God? He was called 
a man after God's own heart. Yet what did he do? He lied. He coveted. He had an affair. He got a woman pregnant through that. And then he murdered the man that was married to the woman who he had the affair with. Yet here it is. By God's grace, he would become one of the heroes of our faith. One of the most prominent men of faith in the scriptures. And then you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you read about the lineage of Jesus Christ. And who is in the lineage of Jesus Christ? Our Savior, David. How about Peter? Peter even, he lived with the foresight of having Jesus' prediction. He knew. Yet he was so scared that he denied Jesus not once. Not twice, but three times he said, I, I, don't, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. Yet what did God do? What did Jesus do through Peter? Oh, he used him significantly. He forgave him. He called him into something great. Everybody think of Jonah. Think of Tamar. Think of the apostle Paul. Everybody, the list goes on and on. Read this book cover to cover, and you will see people throughout the generations with marred past, people who walked with a limp. God says, no, 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 your best days are not behind you. And know this, the story of Moses is not about the greatness of Moses. This story is about the greatness of our God. This story is not about the greatness of us being able just to kind of get it together and move on past our mistakes. It's not about that. This story It's about the goodness of God that when people humble themselves, God tends to use them and God redeems what can often be broken. Let's keep going in this text. Let's finish it out. Look at Exodus chapter 2 verses 23 and through 25. It says during that period, and so that period is in 40 years, brings Moses to 80 years old. Moses had to ask, Lord, are my best days behind me? But it says this, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and and their cry for help because of their slavery, it went up to God. Verse 24, God heard their groaning, and, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites, and he was concerned about them. Other translations translate it this way, God saw the Israelites, and he took notice. Everybody know this. God pays attention to desperate prayers. When you begin to turn back, God pays attention to your prayers. Not only was Moses wondering, the Israelites were wondering. Are our best days in the past? Exodus chapter 3, look at this, and we'll dive into this next weekend, but here's a taste of it. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So he's got plenty of time to think, right? Out wandering the hills. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Now some of you know where that story is going. But let me just give you the bottom line. In spite of the, the mistakes of Moses, God is about to use him as the instrument to lead. Get this, two million people out of slavery. Everybody, it's been 80 years. Are your best days behind you? Absolutely not. Look at what God is doing through Moses. I think one of the greatest temptations that you and I face from the evil one is this. It's that we would just simply settle. That we would say, you know, one day, I used to, a long time ago, I had this dream, and it was a noble dream. I felt like God wanted me to do it, and I had my 
my hopes set on it, my mind set on it, so I was pursuing it, but I just kind of settled, like life just kind of happened, and now here I, here I am. I think the enemy loves that. I think the enemy loves it when we look at something in life that we just say, you know what, that marriage, it's just, it's just too hard. That relationship, oh, I could, but man, it's just so difficult, just so messy. I think the enemy loves it when we just say, you know what, it was good a while back, but this is the new path. Some of you might be here today and you're actually comfortable with that. Let this morning's passage scare you right out of that. Where you go, oh God, I don't need to settle for that. I don't need to. That's a scheme of the evil one. Some of you, you've got your heart and your mind set on getting your life in order. You, man, you're, but you're coming up against some, some roadblocks. Your finances are an absolute train wreck. But you're making progress. But you now, you're kind of going, it's hard though. Stay the course. Keep going. Remember, in Jesus Christ and through him, your best days are not behind you. They are actually ahead. You've got to remember this this morning. We see this in the life of Moses. God is for you. You have to hear that in your church. God is for you. I was at a wrestling meet this last week. The wrestling season is in full swing for one of our boys. And I made a vow to myself this year that I would behave much better in the stands this year. Last year was a train wreck for me. And so I've been working on it. I've been thinking about it. What am I going to be like? Not going to be crazy dad. Not going to be unruly parent. And then the first meet happened. So we were up in Blair last Thursday. This is public confession. That's all this is. Thank you for being here. So last, you know, it happened and I am there and, and you know, I'm, I'm cheering. And at one point my daughter just pulled me back down and she said, there's coaches on the mat. You don't need to coach, you know. And, and then she said, you're in you're embarrassing me. And then she said, you're embarrassing all of us, you know. And, and I don't want to be that guy, but, you know, and I, I tried to control, you know how it is, you clap at the right level and you, you only, yeah, you know, you know what I'm struggling with, right? I hope a couple of you, you do. Anyway, but here's what I realized. There were 75 matches that happened over this three-hour period on two mats, right? So I'm watching this whole thing and, and I clapped through a lot of it, you know. We're clapping for our team, we're cheering for our team. But I noticed that there were three matches that, man, as soon as they started, I just, it was a different thing, right? It was a new level. And that's because it was our kid, right? Everybody, you know, just help me think about this. Why did I feel so different? It's because it's our son. And I have to tell this to you, church. Please know this. Hear this again and again and again and again. God is not mildly interested in you. Not at all. God is pulling for you. This story is not about the greatness of Moses. This story is about the greatness of God. And it's about the greatness of God, though, when he looks at his kids and he says, don't you settle. Don't you be a church that settles. You dream big dreams, church. Our city needs a great church. Don't you be the kind of person that you say, oh, the last decade was a great decade. I'll just go ahead and coast until I die. That's crazy making. God looks at you and he says, no, 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 your best days are ahead. I know people in our church that are 70 plus years old, and I'm telling you, they're having more impact in the things of God than they ever have in their entire life, than they ever have. Your best days are not behind you. I think of some of these guys in Mod 7, they get out of Mod 7, we're seeing guys say these kinds of things. They're saying, you know what, I'm realizing my, my best days are actually ahead. My past does not need to define me. I love that. Mod 7, we are pulling for you. Your best days are not behind you. 
They are ahead in Jesus Christ. Cling to that. I have to talk to you teenagers that are here today. And seriously, you're listening to all sorts of voices that are defining who you are. You have to hear today, God has a future for you and it is so good. And when you, when you walk with him, it's not going to always be easy. But I tell you what, it will be better. Because he loved you enough and he loved me enough to die for us. Think about that, everybody. God loves us enough that he died for us. He paid it all for us. And what he did when he did that is he made a huge statement. Your past does not need to define you. Your best days can be ahead. I want to end this way. I want us to pray together. And I just simply want to ask you this question. When you pray as we close here with me, do you need today to receive the grace of God? And when I see, say grace this morning, here's what I mean. Do you need to receive the grace of God in the way that you would say, you know what, I can get rid of the idea that my best days are behind me. The grace of God would say, and you can receive it this morning, you can take it and say, I have hope. God did a great work through Moses. God promises he'll do a great work in through me. Everybody, there's a promise in the scriptures that kept coming to my mind over and over and over and over again this week. James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, if you, and this is me, you, all of us, if you draw near to God, what will he do? It says he will draw near to you. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I love the picture that we get in John chapter 15. It's this picture that Jesus paints of this kid that goes off and he completely blows it with his life and that kid wonders are my best days behind me and you know what that kid though humbles himself he begins to come home and you know what happens and Jesus is telling the story for a very big point when that father sees that child it's not as though the father goes yeah well it's about time you came home no 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 Jesus paints this incredible picture of this father that runs and he lavishes and he's so filled with joy because this son has been humbled and he has now come home. And everybody, I just want you to know this morning, your best days are in front of you. And when you humble yourself and you say, God, I'm going to grab onto the hope, I want you to know that God delivers on that. And so let's pray this morning and let's just receive the good grace of our God. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the story of Moses, Lord, 40 years in, in, in the wilderness, 40 years wondering, are my best days behind me? Lord, I pray that today would be the day when we as your people, we would be reminded, God, through Jesus Christ, Lord, you were the hero of the story, but our best days are not in the rearview mirror, they are ahead. And so, God, would you help us to cling to those things? You know, if you're a person who's here this morning and Lord, maybe this message was for you today, you just need to be reminded, my best days are ahead. I just want to invite you right now just to receive the grace of God. Maybe even put your palms up on your lap just as a way of saying, right now, God, I, I receive it. What a gift, the grace of God. Maybe there's somebody else here today, and this is the thing that you need to receive. You need to receive for the very first time the grace of God in the way that I've described it here as you need to receive Jesus. You need to say, God, I've sinned against you through thought, word, and deed. And so, God, I come to you now. Lord, I seek your forgiveness. 
I believe what you accomplished for me allows me to know you. And so now with my palm up, palms up, God, I say, I receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ.